You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash first paw media. Hey guys, Robert here from Mushing Radio. We are back from podcast movement and we're implementing some things that we have learned. Namely, this podcast now has its own feed. If you're a fan of Dogworks Radio, that show is still there, but please consider subscribing to this feed too. Today is a show that was very difficult to make. It is a tribute show to the legendary Lance Mackey, who passed away after a long battle with cancer. As fans know, Lance is a four-time winner of both the Iditarod and the Yukon Quest. On this show, Tony and I welcome back longtime co-host Alex Stein, and we each share stories and memories of our time with Lance. Before we dive into this episode, can I ask a small favor? Would you consider leaving us a five-star review? As a new feed to an old show, it will really help us getting the word out. Just scroll down in your favorite podcast player, click the leave a review button, super easy. Thanks so much for tapping that subscribe button too. Okay guys, let's dive into our episode. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. And joining me from Kenai, Alaska is Tony Ryder. And from L.A. is our friend Alex Stein. He's back on Mushing Radio. Tony, welcome to the show. What's happening? Well, uh, it's... Not my favorite podcast. I'm going to say that out loud uh, right at the beginning because we are um, we're talking about a really sad thing, uh, as I'm sure most of our listeners know by now. Uh, Lance Mackey, four-time Iditarod and Yukon Quest champion, passed away from a year-long battle with cancer um, on September 7th. He um, passed away late that night, and so we've been watching all weekend as uh, tributes from all over the world, from mushers, fans, and everything in between um, have come pouring in. I I say a year-long battle with cancer. We know that, you know, of course, he's battled cancer before, um, but he said in an interview back in August that this cancer was different than the throat cancer that he fought um, back in the early 2000s. So it's um it's it's not it's it's not something that I've totally put in you know dealt with myself. I've just been kind of looking at it from a news angle. So Tony, before we hear your tribute or your stories about Lance, can you give us the Cliff Notes version? of who Lance Mackey is, what he was all about, what he meant to you in the sport. All of us, uh, you, uh, Alex, and I have followed this sport for a long time, so we know the Lance Mackey story and the impact that he had on this sport. But tell us about his little biography, if you will, and and sort of how he affected uh, the sport for you. So Lance is part of the Iditarod Mushing Dynasty. His dad, Dick Mackey, uh, helped Joe Reddington start the race back in the 70s. Um, He was one of the ones that sat there next to Joe going, yeah, that sounds like a really great idea. Um, So Lance grew up with 
uh, Joe Reddington being Uncle Joe. Um, Lance watched his dad win the Iditarod with the closest finish of just one second between he and second place uh, Rick Swenson. And then he watched his older brother, uh, Rick Mackey, win in the 80s. Um, and so it just became this sort of thing. Dogs were a part of uh, Lance's life even before he was born. He he was riding on the back of a dog sled in his mother's womb uh, as she was uh, training dogs with uh, with Dick. So it's just in his blood. He's known as the dog whisperer, and um, you know he had a raw, rough, rocky upbringing. Um, his parents divorced when he was very young. He had a um, rocky relationship with his dad. You know, he had to go out and find himself and be rebellious, like most Alaskan teenagers, especially of that generation. And um, he came back to dogs uh, in the mid to late 90s. He actually moved down here to the peninsula with his wife and uh, stepkids, and they homesteaded out in Kasilov, he got back into dogs. I think he said in his documentary, The Great Alone, that before they even really had a roof over their heads, he was collecting dogs that nobody else wanted, and he formed his little kennel and his team. And um, just as he was really starting to get momentum in racing, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. He was supposed to not make it out of that alive, and he did. He actually ran, I believe it was his first Iditarod that he ran that he found out right afterwards that he had cancer. He ran the next year um, with a feeding tube uh, in, inserted in his stomach uh, and ran Iditarod, which just shows you the tenacity and the don't tell Lance what to do. He'll just do whatever he wants to <laughs> um, if he puts his mind to it. Um, and then just a few years later, I believe that was 2003. So I think just, uh, what, four or five years later, he won the first of his four consecutive Iditarods after already winning the Yukon Quest a couple of times uh, ahead of that. He's the first musher to prove that you can win Iditarod and the 1,000-mile Yukon Quest race. Uh, in the same year, he did that two times in a row. Uh, finished up his reign as champion of Iditarod in 2010. And, um, and yeah, it kind of brings us to today. He's ha He had a rocky go health-wise uh, after he, he stopped winning um, his, his uh, chemotherapy, the, the radiation, all of that kind of caught up to him. And his neuropathy was so bad that he could, he was having trouble keeping his fingers from freezing. And so that definitely slowed down his momentum of championship, but it didn't slow down his driver, his love for the dogs, the race, um, you know, the history. He's very proud. Of, he was very proud. See, it's hard to even talk about him in the past tense. He was very, very proud of his family's legacy within the sport. Um, I think more so than even how proud he was of his own legacy within the sport that um, far surpasses his dad or, or any other family member. And we'll never see another musher accomplish what he did, especially now that the Yukon Quest no longer is that thousand mile race. To have a team of dogs within the span of a month when two 
thousand mile races or close to thousand mile races is something that we'll never see again. And so he is considered not only a legend of the sport and the race, but considered one of the best, if not the best dog musher, at least in Alaska. Tony, uh, over the past couple of years, we, we've approached this show from three different perspectives, especially when you, Alex, and I have been on together, and you're approaching it from sort of a volunteer perspective, volunteer on Iditarod, and of course, you grew up with the race, with your, your dad and your family being a part of the race from a very early age for you. Can you tell us a story or two or maybe an interaction that you had with Lance or maybe some favorite moments that you had uh, following him during your lifetime? Um, Yeah, but it's not really with Iditarod. I mean, I do have Iditarod stories, but I think one of the most, uh, the one that keeps coming to mind uh, over this last few days uh, after finding out that he'd passed, um, his young, youngest son, um, when I don't even remember how young the kiddo was he may have been too um but at the final uh testamina 200 uh we were sitting there in the uh the roadhouse that was being used as the checkpoint and you could tell lance was beat you know he'd been running dogs outside in the cold all day um and it's it's a checkpoint you're supposed to get the dogs bedded down rested and maybe catch a few winks um, and mushers can sleep through anything, but his young son was not ready to sleep. Dad was in the room, so he wanted dad's attention. And so um, it's just that that picture that I have. Um, he wanted to play pool as much as a toddler can uh, with his dad. And so they're there at the pool table in the roadhouse uh, playing pool. And that's just a, a memory that, you know, Lance was, yes, Lance was a, a fantastic dog musher and he was a dog whisperer but you know I everything I've heard and every and the little that I've seen is he really did want to be a really good dad for his kids he didn't have the best relationship growing up um, with his father and I I really did feel that he wanted to break that cycle and change some things and um, he definitely from the few interactions I got to see up close with uh, his two youngest kids um, I think he was trying um, and doing his best. And, you know, it's it's such a loss for them. They've already lost their mom and now they've lost their dad. And, you know, my that's, that's where my thoughts have been the last few days is I know that they've got good family support with um, aunts and uncles and cousins and more aunts and uncles. But um, just the loss of both parents is just so hard. So that's the first one that comes to mind. And then also I think um, especially our listeners who uh, are part of the ugly dog <laughs> faction of musher Twitter, um, they'll remember in 2019, uh, there was a big crash on our corner at the ceremonial start of Iditarod there by the uh, native hospital. And <laughs> we had to, my volunteers actually had to stop Lance Mackey's team uh, from continuing on because the crash involved two or three different teams ahead of him. And um, just about the time we got those going, we had another team pass him because they didn't listen to us. And um, they started down and they crashed just as we let Lance uh, continue on. 
And so here's another pileup of dogs and everything. There's no room for Lance's team. And yet he was able to weave his team through all of the down sleds, the tangled dogs, uh, making sure not to run over the crowd, which was pretty big at that point because Lance Mackey was coming. And um, that I think that's another memory that I'll remember, not only from my angle of watching the whole thing unfold and just being completely stressed out as the area coordinator, um, but also hearing the entire crowd just gasp and watch him just quietly move through this chaos with like, I mean, I felt like his body language was just a giant shrug, like, yeah, no big deal. Been here, done that, whatever. And, um, but just hearing that collective gasp and then everyone just breaking out into a cheer, it, it was electrifying. And, and that's, that kind of sums up Lance Mackey to me. I mean, he just, that energy, you couldn't not feel it and, and be a part of it. Tony, thank you for sharing. And we're welcoming back uh, my co-host for many years, Alex Stein. He and I started this Iditarod coverage together way back, I think 2010 or so. He took a year hiatus uh, as he got back into the swing of things with COVID, but he is back for for tonight. Alex, welcome back to the show. I I wish it was on better circumstances, but I know that you were a big-time Lance Mackey fan, and I wanted to have you on to say what was on your mind and and sort of this uh, tribute show to Lance Mackey. Yeah, and, and it's really good to be back here. And as you said, I wish it were not under these circumstances. But uh, when I first started really getting into uh, being a big, big fan of mushing and of Iditarod in particular was when Lance was just completely and totally dominant. And there had been people who would, mushers, who had uh, run both the Yukon Quest and Iditarod in the same year before, but usually they would do that with two completely or almost completely separate teams of dogs. And that's because the the quest ends, and then I think Iditarod starts like two weeks later or something like that. And Lance had noticed that when he was running his dogs, either in Iditarod or on the Yukon Quest, that he felt like they were really hitting their stride in the last part of the race, like the last 150, 200 miles. They were performing at a level that was just so much higher than what they had been at the beginning. And he was the first one who who noticed, and we take this for granted now, uh, that at the end of the race, the one thing that that almost every musher will tell you is, yeah, my dogs want to keep going. They could go. They could go another 150, 200, 300 miles. Um, and at the time when he wanted to run the quest and Iditarod together uh, in the same year and do that in a really competitive way, people thought that was crazy. People thought it, you know, that's something that couldn't be done, which ironically is sort of what a lot of people said uh, when when the Iditarod race was was launched in, in the 70s. So that's that's one thing about Lance. He he had this like telepathic ability to communicate with his dogs. He he famously would would spend nights out in the dog yard sleeping with um, among his dogs and just seemed to know them better would you know like would know what the the slightest movement of an ear 
meant for all of his dogs. And that's that's kind of an astonishing thing. I think I joke that sometimes he thought that he was part dog. And I don't think that's that's a huge exaggeration. Um, there was a great story that Jeff King told uh, to Alaska Public Media after Lance passed. And he was talking about in um, the first year that Lance won, he was having he was having difficulties with his sled and he um, and he broke his uh, right runner. And so he was basically riding on one runner. And um, the other side where, where his right foot would go was was just not there. So he was just like riding on this one runner. And he came into a, a rainy pass and and was hoping that he could that he could get a sled, that somebody would lend him a sled. And someone offered him a sled, but said, oh, well, you have to you have to pay for it. And Lance was, you know, Lance was Lance and Lance frequently was flat broke and thought, no, that's not worth it. So he just kept going with this sled that only had one runner uh, down the Dalzell Gorge, which is, as you know, fans of this show know, is one of the most difficult parts of Iditarod, even even for veterans, even for people who have two good runners. And he just went down there with, with one runner and then took that sled uh, with only one working runner all the way to Nikolai, where he had another sled that he could get and switch out. And that was the first year that, that he won. Um, there, there was something almost magical about Lance. And uh, one, one thing that, that uh, longtime fans may know is that when – Dick Mackey won Iditarod. It was his sixth race, and he was wearing bib number 13. And when uh, Lance's brother Rick won, it was also his sixth race, and he was also wearing bib 13. And what the first year that Lance won Iditarod, it was his sixth race, and he drew bib number 13. So there was almost something that, that seemed like it was, it was totally meant to be. I, I think. Um, I would recommend very, very highly that people who who are interested in Lance watch or rewatch the documentary The Great Alone, which is just really fantastic, um, directed by Greg Coase. And it's on Amazon Prime, and I think it's streaming on a bunch of other platforms as well. Uh, but it's just a great look at Lance. And I, I loved watching Lance in the... Uh, in the late 2000s when he and Jeff King had their rivalry and, you know, famously Lance uh, snuck into a checkpoint where Jeff was, was asleep and Lance pretended he was going to sleep and, and then snuck out while Jeff was uh, sleeping and, and went on to win the race. And like seeing the two of them snipe at each other uh, in the press was just, was just so enjoyable. Um, the, the one the one strong personal story that I have about Lance, and I met Lance a bunch of times, but I wasn't really friends with him. Uh, I saw a screening of The Great Alone. Lance and and Greg Coase were, were doing sort of a road trip thing where they were screening it at various festivals around the country. And I went to a screening in L.A. And uh, if you've seen, if people have seen the movie, Lance is very honest, like, sometimes almost painfully honest about um, some of his problems and particularly his uh, his kind of strained relationship with his father, Dick Mackey. And he talked a lot about uh, about 
um, Coldfoot, Alaska, which is where where there's a little truck stop, and Vic Mackey owned that for a while. And he, you know, Lance spent some summers there and, and spent a lot of time there. And uh, after the um, after the screening, I went up to him and I said, I have something to tell you that I don't think anyone has ever told you before. And he gave me this look. And I, and I could tell that the look meant I've heard people say that to me a thousand <laughs> times. And usually they say something dumb that everyone says to me, like, I went on a sled once. <laughs> and um <laughs> And so what I told Lance is that, and, and this is true, that my wife and I were married in Coldfoot, Alaska, um, at the bar by the bartender. And when I said that to Lance, he just beamed. He, he was so happy. And we talked a little bit about Coldfoot. And then he shook my hand and he said, I can't wait until I go back to the hotel because I'm going to call my dad and tell him about this. And he's going to get the biggest kick out of this. And it made me so happy that Lance had um, repaired or, or was in the process of repairing his relationship with his dad. It also made me really happy towards the towards the end of his life that he seemed to have found a great deal of happiness that wasn't entirely relying on dogs. Like he he got a big kick out of. Um, racing stock cars and and uh, raising his two young kids, and he just seemed like he was uh, coming to peace with the fact that he wouldn't be um, he wouldn't be a dog musher forever. And you know, it, for for people who for people who've seen Lance or, or seen Lance in person, he always was uh, someone who was who was. Um, who did not look strong. He was extremely strong and had a mental toughness that is, that is, you know, hard to even conceive of, but he, he looked like you could tell he'd been weakened by the cancer. He'd been weakened by all of these treatments. Um, and I, I think in, I, I had a long thread about this on Twitter and, and I won't, I won't reiterate all of that, but, uh, I, in in this show, I've I've tried to over the years steer clear of um, of talking too much about some of the challenges that Lance faced, and he had he had addiction issues, he had some some issues with the law, especially when he was younger, and and issues with with relationships and things like that. And I kind of steered clear of that because there were people who were picking on Lance, and I didn't want to feel like I was piling on. But I've come to realize that uh, part of what I admire about Lance the most, and, and like Tony, I still am talking about him in, in the present mm -hmm. tense because it's difficult. Uh, I admire that he did things, and, and I think would be one of the first to admit it, he made some mistakes. He did some things that I'm sure he was not proud of, and I'm sure that he recognized as mistakes. And yet, in spite of all of that, he never let that stop him from just wholeheartedly pursuing his passions, especially his passions for, for mushing and for being with dogs. And I think all of us have done things that we don't look back on fondly. We've all done things that we recognize are mistakes or things that we're ashamed of. And I think sometimes we, we carry that stuff around with us too much. 
And if we could uh, get one lesson from Lance, and there's a lot of lessons you can get from Lance, but if you could get one thing from Lance, it's that he did that stuff and he would admit it. And yet he didn't let that stop him from pursuing his passion. And I'm not saying that, that, uh, you know, that certainly not me, but I'm not saying that, that our listeners will, will, you know, win four Iditarods. Uh, but I think that there's something really important to that. And, um, I hate when, I hate when people die and they're, and people fall into these two camps. They either lionize the person and, and start acting like he was perfect or they demonize him and they start cutting him down. And Lance Mackey was a human being and he had flaws and he had amazing strengths and there's a lot of stuff to admire about him. And I just, I, I think the fact that he was human and that he had problems makes me admire him all that much more. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there, the hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money, enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher, I'm a rover, I'm a wanderer, I'm a voyager, I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Thank you, Alex, for sharing. And I, I agree with, with everything you said, especially there towards the end about, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finding finding that that way, whether you're, you know, everybody has flaws. And, of course, I am, I am one to speak of that for sure. You know, as you guys tell your stories, I, I come from it from a musher's perspective. You guys are definitely from the fan's perspective, the volunteer's perspective. <laughs> And I just have a story or shoot a story or two to share about uh, spending time with Lance at checkpoints and at races and and that sort of thing. I think I raced with him uh, five or six times, I guess, in in qualifying races and in sprint races. Of course, I was never uh, with him on the trail because he was just so much faster than than me and just about everybody else. Uh, during that time on the trail together. But when I did interact with him at checkpoints and at, at the starting line and, and, and that sort of thing, he was always so gracious. And I know so many people have said that uh, in, in the threads over the last few days about how he would, he would always be there for, for other people, whether he's coming out after the Iditarod finish or wait for people at checkpoints or give advice and, and so on and so forth. And he always did that for everybody that I ever saw him around. He was not unapproachable on, uh, on a race. And, you know, there, there's often two camps there, especially if you think about other sports and you have these, you know, mega superstars that play in the NFL or, or hockey or whatever. And they're just, they just seem to be so unapproachable and that's totally a different spin for Lance. He was always there for, for just about anybody to offer advice or encouragement. And just a quick story, I guess it was in 2019 or so, he came out to uh, Eagle River to run in the Eagle River Classic, which is sort of a big time 
sprint race here in in the uh, Matsu Bowl, you know, Anchorage Bowl, Matsu area. And at that time, he was not at the height where he was before. He was, you know, he was he was on the on the downside, if you will, in terms of of uh, being dominant. And we all know. Uh, you know, how he did and I did a rod th- during those years. But I remember waiting for the um, for the open class to start. They always started at the at the end of the day. So the last class to go. And he and I spent some time in the in the in the clubhouse just talking about mushing. And, and, and it's just so surprising how he knew everything about everything. And he would talk about our podcast and he says, I remember when you had so-and-so on, or I remember when you talked about this or that. So not only was it cool that he was a fan of the show and he'd listened often, I don't know if he was a weekly listener or not, but he offered advice to the stories that we told during the podcast. And I think that that was that was really cool. And, you know, just, just having his insight to, to what we're doing and, and, you know, he obviously he enjoyed it. And on occasion, he would even criticize the podcast and he would say something <laughs> like, uh, you know, when, when Alex and I would, we'd be talking about whatever. And he would say, you know, that's, that's not exactly how it went down. Let me, uh, let me clarify a thing or two. And he would criticize the podcast and, and set the story straight, if you will. And, and sometimes I remember to clarify that on the next episode that we did or whatever, but often I just sort of let it slide and, uh, you know, tried to make up for it as we went along. But I guess in summary, it was just him being sort of the ultimate musher, he was there not only for his dogs, but for, for his fellow competitors. And, you know, obviously he was super competitive as as long as he possibly mm-hmm. could be. And he wanted to win, but he was always there as an ambassador for the sport. And I think that that's my favorite memory for sure. So before we go, guys, I definitely want to leave a, a minute or two for for some sum up and we'll go back to Tony is there anything else you want to say in in regard to Lance or in tribute to him before we end the show? You know, as you were saying that he was always approachable, that was another thing that um, we saw a lot of in the tributes was just how giving he was to the fans, to the volunteers, to um, to other mushers. And that's something that I remember hearing all throughout, um, you know, my one and only time that I worked uh, the Iditarod headquarters in a couple of different positions as a volunteer um, was in 2010. So when he was winning his fourth uh, Iditarod championship, as it was, and um, I, I'll admit I, I was in a I was in a different camp. I think we all know which one it was, and so I was kind of cheering for somebody else and. But it was funny because when he won in 07, I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Something new, something, you know, it was reinvigorating for me um, because of the whole lore of the number 13 and the six and and all of that. And so it was just destiny. And so I was really into that. And then by four, I was like, okay, this is falling back into the pattern of, um, you know, it's the same guy winning. <laughs> so, so I get it. I, I, I understand why, why people have been complaining the last few years about a certain other team that, 
it's one of few, uh, not quite as back to back, but I get it. Um, but it was funny because I'd be in the headquarters and of course everyone's buzzing that Lance is going to do it again. And he's going to do something that none of the others have done before. He's going to win four back to back. And, you know, the t-shirts are already being printed with his face on it and champion and four time. And it was going to be a huge deal. And he's still sitting there in the different checkpoints, not believing that people are excited for him. And that was something else that I think, you know, especially after watching like The Great Alone, you get that feeling of Lance just never really truly accepted how much he meant to all of us um, from it, from any angle. You know, he was always so giving to everybody else. He was so thankful and genuinely thankful to each and every volunteer. He made sure to look you in the eye, shake your hand. He was never in my experience, rude on any of the races to the volunteers, maybe to the other mushers, maybe to the officials, but those volunteers that he knew took time out of their busy schedule, you know, or on vacation, maybe not paid time off um, to come out to these races to, to make sure that he's able to have this kind of fun. He was always so appreciative and, and genuine. And, and I don't know, I hope that, especially as news finally became official to the world that, you know, he, he did have cancer again, that he was struggling back in, in August, um, you know, and, and the love poured in from all over the globe, you know, he's still apologizing for some of the mistakes he made two years ago. And, and no one's telling him, you know, nobody was telling him that he was still, you know, they were just showing love to him. And I really hope that, you know, he was reading those comments and truly accepting and, and understanding just how important he was to so many people, even people that never got a chance to shake his hand. Um, he, he is so very important to this sport, not just for the legend of what he accomplished or anything, but just because he, he breathed, like, like Alex said, he was part dog. Um, he was everything. He epitomized what what we envision a dog musher to be. And, um, and, and yet, you know, and I do agree with those that have said, you know, he was more than a dog musher. He was a dad. He was uh, a partner to uh, so many <laughs> of the, you know, from not only his personal life, but, you know, he's a partner in the racing group that he was in. He was partner in, in any business, Thing that he was in, he, he was he was fully invested, and and it it's just such a big hole that he's left behind, and it, it it it's hard to talk about it like that. You know, this is final. I I still expect to talk about him next year during Iditarod, even if he's not racing. You know, I'm not going to be thinking, oh, he's not with us. He's he's watching. Thank you, Tony, and I'm going to give. Alex, the last word, since he is the storyteller of the group, and I want to end it yep. out on him. I know we didn't talk about this at the beginning of the show, but very quickly, uh, uh, my final part of this is I, I got to know uh, Lance's family uh, decently well over my time here in Alaska. I got to know his mom, Kathy, before she passed away and hear the stories about Lance uh, from her. I got to know his brother, Jason, 
uh, pretty well over the years and to hear the stories from from their trials and tribulations on the trail as well. And I got to know his niece, Brenda Mackey, uh, pretty well. We have a whole bunch of dogs from her, and I've heard a story or two about Uncle Lance from from uh, from Brenda as well. And, and those stories will always stick with us. And I know that uh, that Lance uh, is a part of the Alaska Sports Hall of Fame and, of course, the Mushing Hall of Fame or, or whatever. I guess you cannot retire a jersey like you can uh, in the NFL <laughs> for Lance. But uh, if, if I had my druthers, I think that I would probably retire bib number 13 for for Lance Mackey and his accomplishments for the sport. I'm sure you both would agree with me there. Uh, and uh, with that, I'm going to leave the last word before we close to Alex. What do you have to end the show, uh, Alex? So I, I just want to piggyback on what Tony was saying. I, I got the impression as late as like 2015 or 2016 that Lance didn't quite know or understand how much he meant to fans of mushing, especially fans outside of Alaska. And I am, I, I join with Tony in, in hoping that uh, uh, towards the end that he got to really appreciate how much people love and care about him. And I, I just wanted to mention in 2010, when I was in Nome for the for the very tail end of the race. One of the things that struck me, and, and you know, if you've watched the finish of Iditarod, when the winner comes in, there's there's several thousand people on the streets. And when you get to like number 32 or so, there's sometimes a couple dozen people there. And uh, I don't know if he did this for every musher who came in, but every musher that I saw come in, either uh, watching on the, the live stream or when I was in Nome, Lance was there. Even if there were only like five other people at the finish line, Lance came out to greet everyone who finished Iditarod and he congratulated them and he shook their hands or gave them a hug and then he and then he left. And that to me says so much about how how he understands what this sport is and what it means to be able to, uh, you know, we, we say all the time on, and, you know, you and I have said this on the show and, and you and Tony have said this also that uh, it's such an accomplishment just to finish a thousand mile race. It's something I will never do. Um, and, you know, almost everybody who, who runs dogs or, or thinks about running dogs, that's their goal. And, and it's so hard. And so few people are, are able to actually do that. And I think Lance really deep in his soul understood that and wanted to celebrate every person who came in, whether it was someone who someone who won or someone who was top 10 or, you know, someone who was 63rd, you know, and that says to me, this is someone who really understands what's important. There you have it, guys. Thank you very much for joining us, Tony and Alex. It was a pleasure to have you on. I'm glad we could get time together to do this show to tribute uh, 
the great Lance Mackey and uh, his life. And, and I know that we only had a short amount of time to be able to do it uh, here on the podcast, but I would love to keep the conversation going over on social media and uh, wherever else you're listening to this podcast. Drop us a, a comment. Tell us your favorite stories about Lance Mackey and what you thought about uh uh, his influence in the sport. I know that it's been done a lot over the last weekend, but I'm sure that this conversation will continue on for, for many more weeks. And you're right, Tony, it will be interesting to see how uh, how the mushing world responds next year uh, with, with this passing, because uh, there will never be another guy uh, like, like Lance Mackey. So on behalf of my co-hosts, Tony and Alex, This is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your hosts are Alex Stein and Robert Forto. Our producer is Robert Forto, created for Dog Works Radio.